All right, well, uh, thank you, Aiden, John, Didi, for leading worship with us. Uh, if you guys have been at East for a while, you know that Lily, maybe thinking, where's Lily at last couple weeks? Well, Lily and, and um, Jesus moved to Pella um, just a couple of weeks ago, and so Aiden's been kind of stepping in. We really appreciate your help. Don't be surprised, Aiden, as, as you've been starting to lead here, if you don't find in six months you're living in a different zip code. Because apparently that's what happens with people who lead worship at Parkview East for more than a couple months. They move. So I don't know what that says, but we love having you. Thank you for your help, buddy. Um, it is quite odd to stand up here and to see your faces half covered. I just have to be honest, okay? I'm just thankful, you probably are too, that your eyes are not covered. All right? So some of you, you wish maybe your masks were a little bit longer, but I can still see your eyes. All right? So just be mindful of that. You can use those to let me know if you're tracking with me or not. Um, it's a joy to be able to worship with you guys this morning. Another thing that we want to just be mindful of as we worship indoors together is that we don't have any nursery, no children's ministry, nothing like that available for our kids. So there are families here, and as we come from one week to the next, students and kids will just be here with us running about, making noises, and that's fine. That's fantastic. We love it. We welcome it. It's a sign of life and um, growth. Right? So we, we enjoy that. So let's make sure our families feel welcome as they have kids here. And, um, and uh, we, we understand also families that that can be kind of challenging sometimes too. So we thank you just for, for kind of dealing with that. Um, as Wayne mentioned, or maybe it was Lynn mentioned, that we are beginning a new study in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so if you have your Bible, I sure hope you do. I would invite you to open them up to the book of 1 Corinthians. It's towards the back of your Bible in the New Testament. Um, and as we read this book, what we'll discover is that this letter, this particular book, is, is really, I mean, our church is uniquely positioned for a study in 1 Corinthians. And so we're going to take our time with this throughout the course of the year. Um, if there's one thing you know about the, the Church of Corinth, it's probably that the church was jacked up. All right, The church had some serious, serious problems. If you're new here, um, I, I don't want you to think that we're overly jacked up, but we're just like every other church. We really are. We've got our problems. We've got our problems. And so, um, so we turn to 1 Corinthians, we turn to God's word so that we can learn exactly what it is that he is calling us to be as his church, as his body. And so this morning, specifically, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. I'll pray and then we'll get started, okay? So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to you to, to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have as your people um, to sit underneath this word. And we ask that you would use your word as you wrote through the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, that you would use it even now um, to shape and to, and to form us as a people, as your people, Lord. I pray that you would help us clearly see what you would have for us this morning, that you would give us our heart and our, and our church, Lord, a desire to be obedient to your following, to your leading, and to your word, Lord. So I thank you for your holy, your true, your eternal word, Lord, and we ask that you would write it on our very hearts. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. When I was growing up, perhaps you had something similar. I had a little blanket, a little blanket that I received probably at birth. Okay, I don't know when I got it, but it was a blanket. I was a big thumb sucker, huge thumb sucker. Just sucked my thumb constantly. It took $5 when I was in fourth grade to get me to stop. So I'm also highly driven, motivated by money, all right? Um, God's working that one on me, okay? But I had a blanket, and this blanket was an unusual blanket. It was my blanket, all right? Anybody else in the family who saw this blanket had really no desire to even come within five feet of this blanket. As you can imagine, it was from birth to about fourth grade. It just, by the time I was in fourth grade, it was like maybe this big. It had threads just hanging off. There were stains. It was absolutely disgusting, all right? In any opportunity that I saw to maybe, you know, let's just, for, for example, I was... I had an accident, little kid, okay, kids have accidents, had an accident at night. For me, it was just really, uh, really a chance to add character to my blanket, all right, in the sense of smell. It was uniquely mine. It was uniquely mine. It was absolutely, at the same time, completely disgusting, completely disgusting. It was completely and completely gross. It was ugly. It was nasty. There was nothing in and of itself, if you weren't me, that would draw you to this blanket. It was a mess. It was gross. Yet, this blanket, by me, I deeply loved, cherished, cared for, wanted this blanket. This blanket stayed underneath my pillow every night. Every day, during the day, it would be under If I had friends coming over, I would quickly hide the blanket under the pillow so nobody would see it and judge me for my ugly, hideous, disgusting blanket. It was gross but I loved it, right? The fact that it stunk didn't matter. I still loved this blanket. As we look at the letter of 1 Corinthians, we find a similar relationship between God and his church, between God and his people. We see that, that the church, while it is not perfect, while it, we all are flawed, God does not Take his love and affection from us. He still, still loves us. As I said before, if you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, you will know this is one jacked up church. They have a multitude of problems. They are struggling with sexual immorality, with drunkenness. They're using the grace of God as an excuse for worldly living. It is a divided church. There are different factions within this church that want to claim different leaders as their leaders. It is a, a church that is really defiled and disgraced. Instead of glorifying God, they have become a hindrance in their own community to the progress of the gospel. The church at Corinth has some major problems. 
How did this happen, you would, th- you would maybe question, right? This is, this is early in the, in the history of the church. How did things get so twisted? How did it become such a mess at Corinth? Well, the way it became such a mess is because the members of the church permitted the sins of the city to make their way into their assembly. Church, the city of Corinth, to be clear, was also jacked up. All right. Now, it was a prosperous city. It was, in fact, a wealthy city. It was strategically positioned geographically so that it became a, a center of trade. There were many, many wealthy folks who lived there, people that always were coming and going from the city. It was bustling with commerce and activity. In fact, it is, it is estimated that while there was a, a tremendous amount of wealth in the city, there was also a tremendous amount of poverty. In fact, one-third of the population is thought to be slaves. It had its problems. It was a, a prosperous city, but it was also a pluralistic city. The city had no shortage of deities and gods and temples. Temples to Epaphrodite and to Apollo. The imperial cult found its presence there in the city. People gave themselves to the worship of many, many gods. And so this pluralistic society, you can imagine how a monotheistic movement would stand out in these days. A a, a people that were devoted to one singular god. They They were different. They were unique because their city was a pluralistic city. They were also a polluted city in Corinth, filled with every kind of vice and worldly pleasure, greed, sexual morality, prostitution was prominent throughout the city. The church was a picture of converts that had come out of this setting, out of this home, and had covenanted together. And the members of the church allowed the sins of the city to find their way into their assembly. The tragedy of the church at Corinth was rather than being salt and light in their community, folks, they looked just like them. The massive problem. The church at Corinth was a mess, full of sin, heresy, full of division. And we shouldn't be surprised, right? The truth is, we shouldn't be surprised. If we are real with our own hearts and our own lives, and we recognize that God's church is made up of sinful, flawed, fallen people, it shouldn't be a surprise that this type of thing happens. Right? Just just look around. Right? Just look around. And and don't look at the people in front of you or behind you or aside of you, but just, just even a quick glance at yourself. And we'll recognize that we are a fallen people, a struggling people, a broken people, a flawed people. While the church may not be perfect, what we learn here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 1 through 9 is that while the church may not be perfect, we're still able to fulfill God's purposes as his people. The big idea from the today's message, from today's passage, is though the church is flawed. God remains faithful. And this should bring us hope. This should bring us encouragement. This should strengthen us that though we have our fair share of problems, God has not forgotten about us. And he will not neglect us. He remains faithful to the end. Three foundational truths that we discover as we walk through this passage. And one of my commitments, because there are children in our midst, is to do so quickly. All right? Three foundational truths that we learn about this truth that should bring hope to us this morning. 
The first is this, and we see this in verses 1 through 3. First of all, if you're new to Parkview East, you'll notice that that's just going to look like that all service long, all right? Um, and that is intentional, all right? I intentionally do not put the words of the Bible on the screen. Not because I think it's wrong, like I don't, like we can do that, right? But because I want you to have your Bible open. Maybe your phone turned on. I want you to navigate the text with me and to see it. So if you're, and if you don't have a Bible, we got some back there, but there's no words, so don't wait for anything to show up there, okay? If you have a pen and a paper, you can write and kind of take notes as I go. But the first truth I want you to see in verses one through three is that the church is established by the calling of God. The church is established by the calling of God. We see this first when we consider the author of this letter. Before considering the general calling of the church, Paul affirms his unique calling as an apostle. Paul, he says in verse 1, apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul received his calling on the Damascus road when the Lord Jesus appeared to him. That day he was called out of darkness and into the marvelous light, out of a life of rebellion into a life of obedience. What is more is that Paul was uniquely used by God for the building of his church. As an apostle, Paul is an authoritative representative of God himself. So that when Paul speaks, God speaks. So we have to, this is incredibly important for us, especially this morning. As we read these words, these are Paul's words, but even more than that, they are God's words. When Paul speaks, God is speaking. This is God's word. Paul also mentions Sosthenes, whom he refers to as our brother. While there is a Sosthenes who was a leader in the synagogue in Corinth that's mentioned in Acts 18, where we find uh, the, the narrative of Paul's interactions at Corinth, it's, re it's important to, rem to be reminded that Paul is writing this letter while he's in Ephesus to the church in Corinth. He was in Corinth previously, though, so he has a deep love and affection for this church. He has a deep relationship and a commitment to them. Sosthenes, is, all we know about him is that he is a brother. Essentially, he's serving there in Corinth, and what Paul is including in his name, why he's including him in the greeting, is because he wants the church to know that our dear brother Sosthenes, what I'm saying, he agrees with, all right? You've got some problems. We've got some work to do. Sosthenes says, amen, hallelujah, all right? So he's in agreement with them. He's written to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Notice in verse 3, the church is called the church of God in Corinth. Paul refers to the church this way because the church is called by God and belongs to God. You can't miss that absolute centrality of God throughout the introduction in the book of Corinthians. Even as I was reading it out loud, I kept catching myself with the phrase, our Lord Jesus Christ. Some 18 times there is a reference, Jesus Christ, God, or a pronoun referring to him. God is at the absolute center of the church. This church is God's church. He rescued us. He owns us. He loves us. He will not leave us. We belong to him. Folks, we are called by God and belong to God because the church is first and foremost 
about God, all right? So as we gather here this morning, we have a number of different purposes. We gather to encourage one another. I loved hearing your voices as, it was being, as we were being led in worship, the encouragement of your voice. It's, it's, it's amazing. So we, we gather here to be an encouragement, brothers and sisters to one another. We also gather here hopeful that, that those who may not know Jesus could come and discover Jesus. So, so there's a purpose there for the unbeliever to walk in these doors and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed and to respond to it. But first and foremost, the reason we gather on Sunday mornings is primarily about worshiping God. Right? So as we walk through these doors on a Sunday morning, we should walk through with, an, with, a, with a desire and an expectation to meet with the living God. It's the main reason that we worship. It's the main reason why it's been so difficult the last four or five, I've lost track of how many months it's been since we actually met indoors because we are primarily meeting together. We're not neglecting this day because we are about a people, we're about worshiping God. It's our primary purpose. It's why he has called us and set us apart. Next, let's consider what the church is called to. Called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. The church of Corinth is called to live up to who they are. This is the entire idea of what our last series was on sanctification. The church is set apart to God and for God to be a people of his own possession. We're called out of sin to God himself. Now, Paul is not asking them, God is not asking them to change who they are on a very fundamental level, but rather to just be who they are, okay? To recognize their calling and to actually live it out. Who are these saints? These are those who, are call, who call upon the name Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. This calling isn't reserved for the wealthy or for the elite of the city, not for the talented or the popular, but simply for those who call on the name of Jesus, those who hear and respond to the call of Christ, those who deal honestly with themselves and recognize their need and their dependence, their brokenness and their sin, and, and from a place of humble repentance, fling their entire lives on the saving grace of Jesus. Folks, it's a good reminder for us this morning that before we are saints, we are sinners, all right? We are sinners who have been called by the grace of God. While this letter was directed to a local congregation, it's interesting to note that Paul took the time to remind them that they were actually part of something much bigger. All those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. Paul is taking an opportunity, advantage of the opportunity, to remind the church at Corinth that they are a part of something much, much larger. They are a part of a universal church. And I think the great tragedy in contemporary Christianity is oftentimes we can forget this. I just confess that. Oftentimes we can become so narrowly focused on our own local assembly, which is important don't hear me say it's not. But oftentimes we can focus so much there that we neglect, we forget, we lose sight of the fact that there is a universal church. 
right? There is a great deal that we have in common with brothers and with sisters from different countries and different nations and different cities, even in this city. We are one people. Christ died to make a people, not many different types of peoples, but one people from all the peoples. We must never lose sight of that. We must pray for the global universal church. We must pray for the local church, right? We, we see people at, at Veritas and Good News down the street, the Kingdom Center. They are our brothers and our sisters. We want them to thrive. Just like we want Parkview East to grow and to thrive, we want the same for them. They are not competitors. They're family members. We pray for them and we love them. We must never lose sight of them. Paul is directing the church at Corinth. Remember, you are a part of something bigger. Secondly, we see that the church is equipped. It is called by God, but it is also equipped by the gifts of God. We see this in verses, in verses 4 through 7. Now, even just as I re read this passage this week, I'll say that second point again real quick. First point is that the church is called by God. The second point is the church is equipped by the, by the great gifts of God. As I was studying this passage this week, the, the verse that just struck me the most was verse 4. And the phrase, just the beginning part of verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you. So as we read through the letter of 1 Corinthians, you will see that Paul is correcting them over and over. There's a lot of stuff they have wrong. Okay? And he's writing to them to correct false teaching, bad practices, sin, immorality. He's writing to them because they need, they're wrong, and he wants to set them right. Okay? But notice at the beginning of the passage, and remember what I said before, Paul is an authoritative representative of God. So it's not Paul necessarily who's, he's thankful, but the reason he's saying, I thank God for you, is because guess what? God is thankful for them. I mean, isn't that amazing? As we read through this letter, and you will see some amazing situations that he has to speak to that were just like crazy, right? And yet when he writes this letter, God can say, I'm thankful for you. Yeah, you, you have messed up. Your leadership decision, your leadership is way out of whack. You've got massive problems. You're doctrinally off the rails. But I thank God for you. I thank God for you. And folks, the wonderful news about the gospel and the wonderful truth about us as a people who belong to God is that God can write this letter to us today and he can say exactly the same thing. He knows individually the mess that each one of us is dealing with. He knows the brokenness. He knows our problems, the bad decisions, the sin even of this morning. And as he writes his word, as he speaks what he says to us right now, the first thing he wants us to know, I'm so thankful for you. It's not that he's ignorant of our mess. He knows it, and he still is thankful for us. That's amazing. That's amazing. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Why? Why can Paul still be thankful? Why can God still be thankful for us? It's because of what we've received. The grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. These people have not only received the free gift of salvation, but they've also re received the transforming power of God's grace. 
for a people that were prone to pride and self-exaltation, Paul reminds them that all the blessings they have, their status, their privileges that come from their faith, they come to them as a result of God's grace. They, that nothing qualifies them for it. That's what qualifies them for it. All right? They are recipients of God's grace. He pours out his grace on them. God is able to look at their church, a church like Corinth and a church like Parkview, and see evidences of his grace throughout. His grace is made evident in our lives and in our church. See, in verse 5, he says, he goes on to say, in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. A reference likely to the gifts of prophecy and tongues. We'll come back to that as we continue to read and study the chapter, or sorry, the, the letter. Knowledge is it's probably a reference to spiritual insight that's necessary to understand the mysteries of God. He has given them grace, these things, the gifts of, of prophecy and of tongues and the gifts of knowledge and, and revealing, understanding the mysteries of God. Those are gifts of God's grace. In verse 7, we see it again, a reference to the, how God has gifted them so that you are not lacking in any gift. We are, if you're sitting here this morning and you are in Christ, you are gifted gifted beyond measure. You lack nothing that you need to accomplish God's purposes in your life. You've got it all. We have it all. He goes on, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Being enriched by God does not mean that they have arrived, right? Though, though we are, there's this I don't want to say tension, but there's this double reality that exists that we are fully gifted by his grace. And at the same time, we have a lot of work to do, right? We lack nothing. Any ministry that he's called us to, he's gifted us for. Yet, he still has an end in mind. An end in mind. That at the revealing of our Lord Jesus, that we would, that we would become, be presented as blameless. As blameless. He has gifted this church just a casual glance around this room and you can clearly see evidences of God's grace at work. Folks, you are gifted. You're gifted. Thirdly, the third thing that we see, that the church endures, we see this in verses 8 through 9, these are beautiful verses. The church endures by the faithfulness of God. The church endures by the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 8. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Last two verses focus on what God's plans to do for the church in the future. A promise that we can and should claim every single morning. Every single morning. God promises to keep us, if we're in Christ, blameless to the last day. He's able to do this because of the saving work of Jesus is sufficient to cover all of our sins. The sins of today, of yesterday, and of tomorrow. His work is sufficient. This is the whole goal of our Christian calling. To live blameless, free from guilt. And it is exactly what Jesus accomplished when he died on the cross. Those whom he has called into fellowship with his son, those who have heard his calling and responded in faith and in obedience, those who are in the business of living Jesus in their lives together. This is his church. 
And he is committed to keeping his church to the very end. God does not let his people fall by the wayside. He doesn't neglect them. He doesn't even hide them under the pillow when his friends come over. You know what I'm saying? He, he knows our stench. But you know how God chooses to work? He chooses to showcase us. He wants us, the way he said it, even though we're stinky and messy, jacked up beyond belief, he chooses to use us like a city that is set on a hill. He gives us a light, and he doesn't say, throw it under the pillow so nobody can see. He says, let your light shine for the world to see. He's not, his purposes aren't diverted because of your sin this morning. He is faithful to us. His purposes for Parkview are not thrown up in the air because we're looking for a new pastor. You know what I'm saying? God is not done with our church. He is not done with us. He will keep us to the end. He is faithful. As his church, we will endure. You can take that to the bank. It's amazing. So Parkview East, this is wonderful news for us this morning. Wonderful news. God is able to keep us strong, united to the end. Not because of a new, well-thought-out strategy on our part. Not to say we don't strategize. Not to say we don't make plans. But our perseverance is not contingent on our plans. It's contingent only on his faithfulness. We are a church, and folks, we are a church, just like 1 Corinthians, letter of 1 Corinthians, the church of Corinth, we are a church that is in need of renewal. We're a church that's in need of renewal, and that's okay. If we don't recognize that, that's not okay, all right? Deal honestly with where we're at. We want God, we are dreaming and praying that God would breathe new life into our church. And we have this promise to hold up to him and say, do what you said. So a couple of things, just in closing, I want to leave you with in terms of what does this mean? What are some implications here? The first thing is, if we want to see God breathe new life into our church, it means that we have to be committed to discovering what God's purposes are for us. We've chosen to read through the letter Church of Corinth, to 1 Corinthians, for this very reason. So as we open up our Bibles one Sunday after another, there is another, there's a study guide that we've paired with this. So we would encourage you, if you don't get the weekly email, to get that weekly email. And I believe it's presented in there. Is that right, Connie? I think so. Thumbs up. Yes. Get that email and you can join us as we study and respond and obey to God's word. But most importantly, let's be open and committed to discovering what God's purposes are for us. Let's look in his word and discover what it means to live out as his people in 2020 here in Iowa City. What is God doing with us? What's he doing for us? What's he doing through us? Let's commit together as a people to discovering that together. Secondly, let's commit not just to discovering it, but to actually doing it, right? That as he reveals his purposes, what he has in store for us as a people, let's commit ourselves to actually obeying his calling, 
to actually fulfilling his purpose. As we, as we identify areas, maybe blind spots in our church that need attention, let's get to work at correcting them. Right? The very fact that Paul wrote this letter to 1 Corinthians says, listen, don't expect to have it all together. There's no perfect church this side of eternity, right? Every single church has areas that need to work on, blind spots that need attention. I think one of the great tragedies, another great tragedy of modern day Christianity is that we think we've got it all figured out. That this is the only thing that we, we've got it all nailed down, right? Every issue that we can speak to, we've spoken to. Every way that we can do things right, we've done things right. There's areas that we can grow. There's things in that we've been wrong in. And as we discover those, let's commit to correcting them so that our church looks more and more like Jesus, right? It's exactly what happens in your own personal, private, individual life, right? As you reveal, as God reveals his word to you individually, and you recognize sin, ways that you are off, you set to correcting them individually. I'm saying, let's do it corporately as well. So let's commit to discovering his purposes for us and then actually following them. And thirdly, Finally, what I would say is, folks, a massive implication with this is that we can be confident that God is going to see us through to the end. Like I said before, he is not done with us. He has not forgotten us. He has amazing purposes for us right now. And we can see his kingdom be built in Iowa City. And there, I mean, you just think of a climate that our culture, I cannot think of a more polarizing sort of climate that we live in, in context. What an amazing opportunity to be the church that God has called us to be, to be salt, to be light, to believe that this word, God's word, tells us how we ought to respond to issues in our day to seek it out and to apply it, to not shrink back, right? The reason the Corinth was so jacked up, remember, was because they let the sins of the city take over the church. This is what we want taking over our church. This and only this, all right? So as a people, I'm excited for what God's gonna do through us. Now, who knows if we'll be able to worship like this next week. I sure hope so, but... <laughs> Who knows? But even if we can't, guess what? God is faithful to see us to the end and to present us blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus. Hallelujah to that. You can say amen if you want. Man, hey, that's great. Maybe put a hand up and praise the Lord. I don't want to get too crazy up in here, but we got to practice. Got to start somewhere, right? Very good. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for your word the church of Corinth and the lessons that we can learn from it, Lord. We acknowledge, Father, that we have a lot of room to grow, a lot of work that needs to be done. And we also acknowledge that we cannot do it ourselves, but we need your transforming supernatural power to have it done. We thank you that you've gifted us and graced us beyond measure. And I pray, Lord, that as we just consider the purposes that you have for us, Lord, that our hope would be restored and that you would breathe new life into our church and renew us as a people that belong exclusively to you. We love you. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.